welcome to the Growth Through Grief podcast, where we interview individuals just like you who are on their own journey from grief to growth, along with mental health experts, growth guides, all with the purpose of helping you heal better, improve mind, body, and spirit, and find your new purpose from the tragedy and the loss that you have experienced. As I said, I'm Tom Pasello. I'm your host. I'm also a fellow widower, having lost my beautiful bride, uh, Judy, of uh, 18 years we were married, and I lost her about six years ago now. So my guest today is an aspiring author and consultant. It's John Lewis III. Hi, John. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. John's mission is to teach people how to find the better version of themselves through his practice. John's upcoming book, Cook Away Your Grief, it documents his own grief journey from the loss of his wife, Kim, also of uh, 18 years. And uh, that was seven years ago for John. He is on a new mission and purpose now. And cooking, as you could tell from the name of his book, played an important role in that. And I definitely want to explore that with John. Welcome, John Lewis. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for giving me the time, Tom. I mean, it's uh, it's been a marvelous but crazy journey. Yeah. Put it that way. I mean, when you... When you go through a loss, when you go through any type of grief, the first thing you do is shocking. It takes time to, to figure out where you are. Yeah. For me, it like I said, like you talked about in your title, cooking was a big part of helping me to find who I was. Yeah. yeah. You know, and when we do and when we do go through that loss, John. We do think sometimes we're going crazy. Uh, there were moments where I thought I was losing my mind, like how could this be happening and an unreality to it. And then you do go through a complete identity loss and you have to find a new identity. And it's so cool that you found one in, in cooking. Now, before we get there though, I always like to start at the beginning. And to okay. me, our conversations, this is a love story. Right. And I want to hear about that love story and the love story. Okay. Has started. How did you and Kim meet? First off, I'm going to tell you this story. And oddly enough, you're not going to even believe it. That's how crazy it was. It actually started back in 1978, way before I met my wife. My father happened to be the best friend of Kim's uncle in okay. 1978. Wow. My father, unfortunately, did some very bad things in his life. And Kim's uncle was involved in many of those bad things. <laughs> Kim and I didn't know until 1990. We met in 90 at Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia. And I never would have met her if I didn't have a fist fight with my best friend now. Oh, no. He was my roommate in, in college. We lived mm -hmm. on campus. And we had such a blowout that it caused me to walk on the campus to look for housing. So I go up there, and I end up meeting another friend of mine who I had no idea he was going to handle either. Mm-hmm. He's from New Jersey. So we start talking and he says to me, he goes, you know, there are so many people from New Jersey. You 
God get in touch with him. And then he goes, you know, there's this girl named Kim. She's got a car, you know, and she lives no more than 20 minutes away from you. <laughs> got to meet her. He said, but I forget her telephone number and I forgot what door she saved me. <laughs> he goes, but I'll find it. Yeah. Then he says, I have to go to the mailroom to, to pick up a package for my mom. She left me some money. I said, okay, I'll go with you. Went with him. I'm thinking it's going to be crowded. We go there, there's just two girls there. He looks over. He says, yo, remember that girl Kim was telling you about? That's her right there. <laughs> I look at her. And Tom, seriously, my entire world went black. Keep it zero. I didn't, I didn't see anything else but her. Yeah. Then when she was talking, we were talking. All I could hear was her. Yeah. A couple of days later, we met up with each other and we started walking around campus together. Then we found out that there were so many different clubs that we had gone to in New Jersey mm -hmm. and incidences that occurred in these clubs that you had to be there mm -hmm. in order to, to know. So we, then we ran track together. We, we ran track. And what was interesting, that's how I met my other friend mm -hmm. from New Jersey. He happened to be cool with him because of the fact that he ran track in high school and they used to have these dual meets together. Then there was a major meet that occurred in New Jersey. It was called the Meet of Champions. Mm -hmm. And I would see him all the time. And what was interesting was I probably had seen Kim, never met her. Mm -hmm. So now... I have this blowout. My dad and her uncle are best friends. It gets even crazier. My dad used to live next door to my wife's father in high school. Oh, wow. It gets even more crazy. neighbors. Yeah. Tom, it gets even crazier than that. My dad used to date her aunt in <laughs> high school. You know, I mean, we found all this out because one day Kim's mom ended up calling saying that her uncle passed away and she needs to come to New Jersey for a funeral. Mm -hmm. When we go up there, that's when we find, I literally, I, when I, I say literally, I come in and my father is sitting there and I have no, I hadn't seen my father in five years. At this oh, point. wow. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like, what? And then that's when all the stories start coming out. And that's when we find that Kim's uncle had, he had gone to jail, but he mm -hmm. had gone to jail because my dad went to jail. They were involved <laughs> in the same thing. <laughs> and so our life, we end up looking at each other. First off, we thought maybe we need to take some blood tests just to make sure. But <laughs> But, you know, hey, thank God that wasn't the case. But it was crazy because from there, we felt, you know what? This couldn't be coincidence. Yeah. It, it had to be 
destiny in some way. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, from that point, we had 18 years together, two beautiful kids. Awesome. We lived out in West Orange, New Jersey. Yeah. Things were awesome, you know. But it was it was an interesting situation because when I lost her, I really felt like I lost my right arm because I met this woman when I was 18 years old. She passed away when we were 44. So, you know, all that time together, I was lost for a few years after her passing. Mind you, I have two kids and I'm trying to figure out what my oldest daughter, she happened to go to the same university that I met my wife in 1990. Oh, that's excellent. bittersweet because when I got down there to, to drop off. Yeah. All those memories had to be flooding back. It came like, it wasn't a flood. It was a tidal wave. It was interesting. But again, I am a firm believer that there is no coincidence. Nothing's random. My daughter had an awesome experience in Hampton. My youngest daughter, is now a senior at Brandeis. And I did, I had no idea how I was going to be able to manage two young ladies. I mean, Tom, I had to learn everything. Like I said, cooking was one thing. But, I mean, I had to learn how to braid hair. I, I And I had no hair. So I had to learn how to do this. You know, then what... What really changed me was the fact of I had to now understand women in a different manner. My daughter, my youngest daughter comes up to me one day. She came from school and I said, baby, how's your day? And she just started crying. And I said, what happened? And she said, my boyfriend cheated on me. I, I, I'm sitting there, and now at this point she's 16, and I'm I'm like, oh my, okay. So now the father in me is ready to kill this guy. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> but then I reverted. I thought I said I've been a 16 year old boy before, and Lord knows I probably cheated on every girl I was with, and so now I had to tell myself. Baby, you know what? It's it, it's a horrible thing, but you're going to walk through this. You're going to be okay. And I had to learn how to have that conversation without having the mind of a the understanding of a six-year-old boy. I had to understand a six-year-old girl. A conversation that she would normally have with her mother. Absolutely. But you know what? I had to realize I was mom and dad, you know, and like I said, shortly and shortly after that, she she comes in, I'm, you know, maybe like a week later, and she was like, I'm hungry. I'm starving. She had a soccer practice, school, and all I had was lasagna. That's all I had. And because a neighbor had made a fresh one. 
Now, mind you, I had like two in the refrigerator already. Because I, I always, know a lot of a lot of widowers are nodding their head yeah. like lasagna. I think you called it the go-to kind I, of I call it, yes, It's cool. the widower's meal. That's yeah. what it is, you know. And, and and I remember that night, she was like, Daddy, if I have to eat this again, I'm going to kill somebody. So we 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 settled on tacos and once i started making the tacos you know we sat down and laughed and played all these things and i hadn't seen that in the mm -hmm. six weeks since my wife passed not from her so i said to myself if i can keep that smile on her face i'm gonna do it and I got, every, I went online, I got every cookbook I could find. I found my wife's old cookbooks. I called my mother, you gotta call your mom, you know? <laughs> and then I actually, I got a coupon from Blue Apron. It was the old, you know, the meal service. Meal service, yeah. So I had food coming to me and ingredients and recipes. So now I'm making food. And let me tell you something. It made me look like Gordon Ramsay. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie, you know? So I started taking pictures and putting it on Facebook. My my oldest daughter, she sends me a message. She said, Daddy, you're making this? And I <laughs> say, I said, yes. Then she goes, you know, Daddy, me and my two friends are coming up this weekend, and I want you to make this, this, and this. Oh, nice. I got the ingredients. I learned how to make it. I, I, I realized that I had some talent in me. You know, I, honestly, I think my wife would do two things. She'd be extremely proud, and then she'd say, why didn't you have this before? Yeah, <laughs> you know, why couldn't you give me, me one rich? meal? Eighteen years, right. not one meal. You know? And but for me, it was that point of revelation because I'll be honest, I, um, during that time I was going through so much. I mean, I was drinking all the time. I, you know, one of my jokes with my client was that Hennessy was my best friend. You know, because it was like plus I was. I was smoking a lot of marijuana back then. And I mean, anything, anything to, to medicate. kill the pain. Yeah. You know, the problem was that when I was sober up, it was a lot worse. Yeah. And once my daughter, once they both were like, Daddy, you could cook, I started telling myself there's something I could do. Mm -hmm. You know, that night, I, I remember I'm, wa I'm watching a YouTube video, and the guy was talking about if you want to change your life, you got to work on, you can change your outside, and then from the outside reflection, you can start changing your inside. Mm -hmm. So at that point, he challenged the listeners, you know, the, the, the viewers. He said, you know, Start by just doing 50 push-ups and sit-ups. Now, yeah. mind you, at this point in time, I'm still drunk and high. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And 
I'm like, I can't do 50 push-ups. And it was almost like, seriously, like he heard me. Yeah. He said, you know what? Do whatever you can do. So then I did 10 push-ups and sit-ups. Felt great. Yeah. And, you know, I, it was that endorphin rush, I guess. And jumped in the shower, cleaned myself up. Mm-hmm. I took my bottle and dumped it in the toilet. Oh, great for you. I, I took what was left of my marijuana mm-hmm. and I opened up the bag and dumped it in the toilet as well. And I said to myself, I've got to fix this. Yeah. And then what was interesting, in addition to cooking, I got this, I got on this workout bug. Mm-hmm. It, it got so bad <laughs> that, like, I was telling myself, I'm going to do, I'm going to add 10 to every set of things I do, you know? And it was just pushed to themselves at first. Yeah. But then I started adding, uh, you know, pull-ups. Then I started adding, doing six inches and doing a plank. Mm-hmm. Then I went to the pool. By the end of the first year, I was doing 500 push-ups. Wow. 500 sit-ups. Mm-hmm. My arm hangs, everything else. And then I would go to the pool and do a good 70 laps. Nice. Only because, you know what? And it, again, it, it wasn't really for health purposes. Well, no, it was. It was for mental health purposes. Mental, yeah. Because Even more than the physical. I agree with you. I mean, I was going through it. Yeah. And, and also, when that urge would come back, mm-hmm. I would have to tell myself I have to replace it. Yeah. That was my whole thing. And Drop and down and give me 20, right? Right, right. <laughs> the yeah. That was it. Because I, I wasn't going to AA meetings and stuff like that. Yeah. But that's when I started understanding that, you know what? You can really make a change when you put your mind to it. Mm-hmm. And there was something I always heard. My mom used to beat this into me. Perspective matters. Mm-hmm. How you choose to see things matters. When when my father went away, we were single. You know, my mother was a single mother. Mm-hmm. And she was raising two boys. But from there, she got her bachelor's, then her master's, and then her PhD. Wow. And all the time, she kept telling me, perspective matters. Mm-hmm. And she, she's, a, she's an A minister. And what's interesting was that thought process stayed in me of making sure the perspective mattered, mm-hmm. even though the, the religious aspect of things started kind of shifting as I got older. Because one, it, it, my, my wife and her family were kind of what you want to call surface Christians. You know, hey, they believed they they was all good. Yeah, I was a church kid, you know, but I couldn't. Once I got to the point of being able to get away, I, I wasn't in the church like that the way I needed to be, you know. And there were so many other 
aspect. I mean, I started really delving into the secular world. I really started looking at things differently, enjoying a lot of pleasures, you know? And what was interesting about that was that this is personal to me. I, I, I don't preach this to anybody else, but I do believe that God will give you enough enough rope to hang yourself. I agree. <laughs> totally. And, and so I was allowed to go on these crazy journeys. Do me. When my wife died, though, I was still on this crazy journey. A few years later, I remember I, the day that I had dumped everything out and the day that I had decided to make a change, I got down on my knees and I said, God, I know I haven't been cool with you for a long time, <laughs> but you know what? Yo. If you help me out of this, I'll I'll tell you I'm not I'm I got you. I, I promise to the rooftops I got you. And so over time he kind of he really did, mm -hmm. you know, help to bring me to a new thing, and that's when I started learning about grief and things of that nature. Uh, we were talking. And when you and I were talking, we were talking about, you know, Dr. O'Connor's book. Mm -hmm. And and it was interesting because I had literally downloaded that book two weeks earlier and I listened to it because I needed to understand how the brain actually responds to grief. Yeah, this because, is Mary Frances O'Connor's book, The Burden yes. on Grief. And yes. A powerful yes. book. And like you said, if you understand kind of what your brain is doing, it'll give you an awareness so that you can address it and shape it. I mean, absolutely. And I, I knew that there were things that I should be doing. And that's where, you know, you said to yourself, Okay, I'm I'm reading her book or audio book and her book and and I'm listening. I'm like, you know, I'm yeah. There were times where I said I knew I should be doing this, but my my brain was like, you ain't gotta do this, you know. And once you start learning the on and off mechanisms, then you can start creating a little bit better of control. Yeah particularly the amygdala hijack. So yes. talk about that, John, and you, just a couple of your experiences there with triggers. For, for me, it started with listening to different songs. You know, there were, there were songs that I would listen to that would remind me of me and my wife, that would remind me of times, and I would literally just start crying. It was crazy. I couldn't control it. Then my whole mind, my, my mind state was that I got turned off. Done. I can't deal with this. That's where the hijack comes in because the amygdala hijack 
will create that flight or uh, flight or fight response. Yep. And normally, like back in the day, you know, prehistoric times, it, hey, you needed that flight or fight thing. You know, there might have been a saber tooth tiger. But now, what's interesting is our mind still has that. Our brain still has that. But we don't have the threats that we used to have. But the mind will make you think that whatever you're going through, if it's negative, it's a threat. So the hijack is the fact that when, again, I'm listening to these songs and I'm feeling sad. And I, my mind is like, I did something wrong with this guy. All right, cool. We got to run. And that's where my mind went in that respect. But I had to realize that you can do two things. There's, you have choice and you have obligation. You are not obliged to be in grief. Being in grief is a choice. The amygdala hijack will make you think you don't have a choice. It'll make you think you have to run. I had to stop. As a matter of fact, here's how I stopped. One night, I literally downloaded an album that I knew my wife should love. And I just sat there and I sat in it and cried and started felt, feeling the emotions. What was interesting was that slowly the demon started abating. I wasn't scared anymore. I wasn't running. You know, it, it's, it's very weird. I built an appreciation where before my whole mind was turned on. I'm done. I can't deal with it. But it gave me an understanding that, you know what? You're going to go through these things. Mm-hmm. So you have, again, a choice. Choice versus obligation. You have a choice. You can decide to stay uncomfortable and and make yourself believe you're comfortable in it. Or you can make a choice to find the better version of you. That's where my concept of energy comes through. I I the bottom line is, I remember I was reading in Scientific American, and they were talking about energy, saying that energy never dies. Mm-hmm. It just transfers and transforms. So now I'm reading in this Psychology Today article. It's talking about emotional energy. And so now I'm putting two and two together. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying that, okay, if if grief is emotional energy and energy never dies, well, then 
at some point, you can figure out how to repurpose this. Mm-hmm. And so I started, I, I started researching, looking at different ways that I can take that negative energy and use it to create a more positive outcome. And I realized that I was actually doing it without even knowing I was doing it <laughs> through learning how to cook, through exercising, through learning to be a better parent. All these things are aspects of repurposing energy. Yeah. Yeah. And the spirituality that you were able to regain, right? That, that element too. So mind, body, spirit, and taking forward progress in those was a way to kind of gather that energy and repurpose it. And for me, I think of grief, not as my, my brokenness or my scars. I view it as my superpower at this point. And honestly, that is what it is. Once you walk through the very dark path. Let me explain something. You can't tell someone who's just experienced a, a loss or a grief that they have a superpower. Because Very in their true. mind, in their mind, the world has just fallen down on them. Yeah. And they're going to look at you like, what's wrong with what you? What is this guy talking about? Yeah. yeah. But we are, think about it, we're five, six years in, right? right? And and so we have that perspective that someone who's a year or months, a year, two years, even three years in, won't necessarily have. And that I, I, I have to go back to my personal experience. I'm, honestly, Tom, for about two years, I was a mess after my wife died. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean... So I can understand when a person, my conversation with the person is, it doesn't start with, you have a superpower. I know they do, but I'm not going to say that's what you got right now. Yeah. My whole thing is, listen, what you're going through is a travesty, mm -hmm. you know, but what you have to understand is that you can make a choice, like I said again, you can make a choice. You can do what I call the Aerosmith thing and have a permanent vacation. <laughs> or you can figure out how to repurpose what you have. And I like to give examples of people who have created things like fun runs or uh, funds in the name Mm -hmm. of their person, you know, organizations, charities. And my, for instance, I have a podcast called The Gift of Grief. Mm -hmm. And my whole thing is about telling people, you know what, since the energy, negative energy is all around you, you find a way to use it. Yeah. Because now, you can use it to get you to a better version of mm -hmm. that motivation. Yeah. 
message. Yeah, I, there's a lot of people that are motivated by positives. I, for one, maybe it's growing up in the Northeast and in New York, kind of like you. It seems to be <laughs> that negative energy tends to be my fuel. So yeah. <laughs> with the negative energy that came from all of the grief uh, experienced, uh, I had a lot of fuel to power that uh, that superhero kind of uh, element that I was able to obtain. I love a quote of yours. There's always a blessing in the broken pieces. Let those pieces be the fuel to power you to the better version of you. You know what? I actually got the first part of that from a, a gospel song. There is a gentleman, Zach, I can't remember his last name, but he had a song. I'm listening to it one day. And he said, there is a blessing in the broken pieces. Hmm. And I'm sitting there. And I'm like, there is. And the reality is, when you decide to look at the negative aspect of things, you're going to get them. There will be justification. But then when you choose to look for the blessing in the broken pieces, mm -hmm. because there is a gift in our grief. The grief, the gift is not the grief itself. Mm -hmm. The gift is not the loss. The gift is the lesson that you learn through it. And that analogy of the blessing in the broken pieces is very similar to the way I think and the way I discuss with people I talk with, because one, put it this way, death, we, we, there's a fact. We're all gonna pass. Mm -hmm. There's a fiction. And the fiction is that we can prevent it. And the reason why I say the fiction is because we've all heard, say for instance, you got a person who was smoking and passed from lung cancer. And it's always someone who says, man, I wish I had just taken those cigarettes out of his hand. I wish I had just stopped them. And you know what? You may have been able to delay mm -hmm. the circumstance, but they're going to go somewhere else. And they're going to go away from you. And they're mm -hmm. not going to do this habit near you. Mm -hmm. Or someone in passing a car accident. And, and and somebody says, if I had just driven them that day, well, you know what? You may have delayed that. Mm -hmm. But again, I'm a firm believer that if something was supposed to happen, or if something had happened, it was supposed to happen. It it reminds me of that old movie, that old Final Destination thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's I was like, thinking that same thing, John, that, that movie where yeah. you, you kind mean, of escape death, but then it still comes right. in. Yeah, right. I mean, everything around us is rusting and, and wasting away everything of material nature, right? But that energy that you speak about is persistent. And you know what? That's what I had to realize, too, mm -hmm. was that although I had lost my wife, and it, it was easy to think about her in a casket and being buried. Well, you know what? Her soul was going up. Her body 
was being transformed. You know, hey, look, the bugs have to eat, the plants have to grow. And a big part of that is the decomposition of anyone who has passed. You know, these things, that is, it goes back to that energy never dying. It simply transfers and transforms. And it's not like I have a great appreciation for the fact that, you know, hey, a dead person can help the grass grow. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there is an unfortunate truth in these things. When it happens, then another thing occurs. We can choose to, like I said, have have our Aerosmith moments and stay comfortable, Mm -hmm. you know, and be anchored or find a way to refuel this circumstance and take a rocket ship approach. I mean, energy, like I said, and, and again, I'm not one of those crystal type of people. That's not my thing. I'm just simply saying, you know, the energy is there and you know, it's there. It's, it's just like, a, it's like nuclear. A, a nuclear energy can do two things. It can either power a city or destroy a city. Mm-hmm. You know, but the whole thing is it's all about how you choose to use it. You don't have you don't have to be obligated to create Oppenheimer's nuclear bomb. You can find a way to utilize it to create energy to power a city. Mm-hmm. Again, but the choice is yours. Completely. You know. So, John, what's the one thing you'd like to leave our widowers, our growth warriors with today? My biggest thing is I let people know that, you know what? In order for you to get to a better version of you, you got to learn to do something that you've never done before. I mean, so I'm not saying crazy, like skydiving a bunch of an airplane. Yeah. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, hey, maybe if you didn't listen to country music, you know what, turn on country station. Listen to it, listen to it. Something new. Take a different way home. You know, eat something that you never would have eaten before. All these experiences will allow you to start understanding that you can become new. Real quick, I'll tell you this and be done. I used to hate eggs. I couldn't stand them. But I eat eggs every day now. (laughs) I mean, it's amazing. I'll eat them scrambled. I eat them hard. Hey, I I got five dozen sitting in my refrigerator, you know, because the whole thing is I never, one, I never realized how much I actually liked them. I had told myself I didn't. Mm-hmm. But once I started cooking and realizing that 
a lot of the ingredients call for using them. Then, you know what? I said to myself, I'm just going to try to make an egg one day. And I tried it. I had an egg and potato sandwich and with sauteed onions and peppers and like on the sub roll. And, you know, put some, put some sauce on it. I mean, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And then I said to myself, I can't believe I spent all these years. But that's the way, that's the way I tell people to experience something new because it will get you moving towards that better version of you. Mm-hmm. That, and that, that's my whole thing. Yeah, completely agree. Some of the things that I did were to break the old patterns and old habits and the stories that I would tell myself. You know, I was a pretty good drinker myself and now six years sober as a result of the loss. The day after my wife passed away is the day I put down the bottle because I was medicating through the illness process. Not too dissimilar, John, than than your path, you know, kind of two years after. Um, I hadn't played out as a musician in ages. And I just recently played out uh, with a group, with a band. And we played for a widow widower's group. So we invited the widows out with my widowers group and we had a mixer and a fundraiser and I had the biggest smile on my face. I wasn't an athlete and never thought of myself as an athlete, but now I I can run up a mountain and absolutely love it. You know, so I completely agree. And I think you're on to something. Get uncomfortable to get comfortable with the grief and the healing process. Let me tell you just one thing. Yeah, absolutely. My wife used to love comedy shows. Used to love them. Yeah, and in New York, great, great ones up in up in that area. Oh, yeah. always you see somebody. Yeah. And, well, one night I go to Morristown because they have an open mic, mm. and I said to myself, "I'm gonna try this. <laughs> I'm gonna try it." So I go to the open mic. Mm-hmm. And I had them rolling. I had them rolling. Now, the next night when I went, eh, they weren't laughing so much. Yeah. But, but that first night, they were rolling. I said, my wife would have loved this. Yeah. You know, and I was extremely uncomfortable because I wasn't, I, first off, when the person that you're with passed away, something in you withdraws, mm-hmm. you know? So I didn't think that I had any extrovert ability. When I decided to do this, however, it was quick. And that's what helped spark me to thinking about being a motivational speaker mm-hmm. and podcasting, mm-hmm. you know, because I said to myself, if I can, if, can I, do that. if I can do that, I can do this. You yeah. know? And also, as I honestly, as I started looking at what I used to do, which was, you know, insurance sales for seniors, I started thinking to myself that I was good at that, but I wasn't happy anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to find something 
that A, can make me happy again, and B, that I could use to help others. So, you know, I think that's where I, that's where I was able to go with it. So. Yeah, I love that, John. Thank you so much for sharing all the stories and your advice. It really is powerful. Um, thank you again. We'll include a link to your book when it's published, hopefully soon. Would love okay. to get the cooking. I think you're going to have recipes in there and stories. And yes, yeah. So love that. I don't. I don't think there's been a book published by a widower that does anything close to what you're doing. So very unique. And I think everyone's going to love it. We'll post a link to uh, your consulting site and podcast as well. So people can find you and look you up and reach out to John. He's got great advice and I know he'd love to talk to you. Uh, thank you again for listening to the Growth Through Grief podcast. Uh, if you liked what you heard, please hit the like button. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on the latest episodes. And until next time, my growth warriors, keep growing. <laughs>